lots of companies are looking at to either buy or sell their, their business. They're starting to assess their business and see whether or not they're either going to be big enough to have an impact in the industry they're in. The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to Data Gurus. I'm Seema Vasa, your host. Today, I have Brian Califano, who is a co-founder and managing partner of Accelerating CFO. Welcome, Brian. Time to welcome this week's Data Guru. Thank you, Seema. I'm glad to be here. I love the name Accelerating CFO. What's your company do? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so what we do is we provide CFO consulting services for small and medium-sized businesses that either can't justify or can't hire for the lack of resources a full-time CFO. So we usually, we work across all industries. We specialize in entertainment, media, and technology. And usually the people ask me, well, what's the ideal revenue size? And basically the common theme, most of our clients is between 1 million and 25 million in revenue. Usually large enough where you could use full-time CFO partner and small enough that you may not really want a full-time CFO on staff. So what do you actually do? Are you a part of an extended team for the company? So what we do is, as a partner, I'm a CPA, MBA, practical experience with over 25 years of Fortune 500 companies working in their senior finance executive board in the C-suite area. So we take that experience that we have in the boardrooms and we bring it to the clientele that don't normally see it or can't you know, afford it with the consultants. You know, the mid-market region, that area, that segment of the market, which is 90% of, of America today in terms of companies, doesn't see that kind of expertise. And it really comes into play whether you're budgeting performance or if you're trying to buy or sell companies. The experience that we bring to the small and medium-sized business community is valuable. I definitely could see a need for that. I know from a research perspective, we are always looking to talk to small, medium-sized businesses and understand some of the challenges they face and kind of be able to get information that our clients might want to understand more about in terms of marketing their products and services. What are you seeing as some of the trends with your clients in terms of finance and, and the role of data? So I think that the biggest thing right now is clients, and I'm not sure if it's my clientele, probably more like a sign of a symptom of what's going on in the marketplace overall. Lots of companies are looking at to either buy or sell their their business. They're starting to assess their business and see whether or not they're either going to be big enough to have an impact in the industry they're in or whether it's due to the aging of the owners or not having a smooth transition plan, they're trying to sell the company, which is the, it's more the latter than the former in my case. So that's really what's going on. And I think there's a lot of acceleration going on with you when you look at the marketplace. And, you know, we've had historically low interest rates for a very, very long time. And they're starting to uptick now. And I think people who are trying to, quote unquote, use cheap money or PE firms and VC firms that are on the sidelines are starting to get in and trying to grab it while the money is relatively more cost effective. I think on the same time, people are saying this could be the best time for me to buy because if that money dries up, then it might not be as not as conducive a market to sell. 
these other marketplaces. So a lot of companies are hiring us right now because they don't have that kind of expertise in-house. So they don't have the people who have been in boardrooms, who have talked with people, negotiated contracts, looked for terms that are advantageous to both the owner and doesn't make it so that you're kind of constantly reaching for that that golden rainbow, the pot at the end of the rainbow for the purchase price. So, you know, I've had a cl- I've had clients who have been told initially, oh, it's $10 million just to make up a number. Oh, by the way, we have to claw back $2 million because it's going to be incentive over five years. And we're not sure about this product liability you have. So it's $500,000 and you whittle it down. And then all of a sudden they're looking at perhaps even half or, or 40% of what they were quote unquote promised. So we try to inject ourselves as early as we can in the process and it really truly advise these owners who in in many of the cases have not done this before. So they don't know what they don't know and we help them educate them. That last mile of a sale is torture. It's emotional. It's it's a back and forth. And just when you think it's, you always get that last minute thing that comes in and draining. So it's great that you're helping, helping people and unfortunately, I'm going to use a gambling term, you know, you don't touch the money before it actually is won. And, you know, unfortunately, I've had a couple of clients who have started spending the money or in their mind started doing stuff with the money, assuming that a deal will go through. And it falls through to your point at the 11th hour, the last mile. And it's such a, and it's sad on several levels, you know, one of which, of course, they were relying on that funding to get stuff done. Now they can't. And now they got to be emotionally ready to go reignite their business because they may have mentally checked out or may have made plans to transition stuff over that now they have to figure out how to reinsert themselves back into the company. I totally agree. I've seen it a couple of times and it's hard. So so tell me, what tips would you give our listeners if they have their own business, they're thinking about starting a business, like what's kind of certain truths or rules or concepts that you would recommend our listeners keep in mind when they think about financial practices of running their business? That's a great question. I, I think I'll, I'll open my kimono a little bit and tell you that what I One of the first questions I ask a prospect or a company that seeks me out is, do you have a budget prepared that I can look at? The reason why I ask that is because if they have one prepared, then that's usually a sign that they're very analytically driven. They're they're focused on the numbers and the bottom line, and they're tracking their performance. And if you don't have one, then you either are not inclined to that way of thinking and or you don't have the finance staff or the acumen to have that in place. Now, from a, from a business standpoint, that's usually a good time to hire a firm like mine. But from a best practice standpoint, budgeting and forecasting, and the difference I'll, I'll explain in a second, is really important in terms of, of understanding your business, where it's trending, and really seeing face-to-face the data behind what decisions you should or should not make or what paths you need to choose quickly or what trends and techniques is going on in your business that you may not see just by your gut instinct. So when you talk about the difference between a budget and a forecast is when you budget, it's usually a one-time event. So for most calendar year companies, you start budgeting at the October, November timeframe. By the time it's settled and you negotiate and you go back and forth and companies, et cetera, et cetera, usually before the end of the year, you're budgeting for the following year. So for in December 2000, you know, so using 2018 as an example, you'll start planning your budget in September, October of 18. And then by the time November rolls around, you should be ready for 2019. Now, forecasting comes into play is during the progress of the year, you have to kind of track and see if those numbers that you budgeted at a one-time spot is reasonable. So for example, you may have planned on having only 10 employees. So your salary expense is X. You know, during the year, you ended up hiring three additional people. So now when you compare your budget to actuals, it's ridiculous because you have three additional individuals that's skewing the numbers. So 
it's not really helpful anymore. So you have to constantly update your numbers that you have as budgeted and updated for current events to see how it will play out for the rest of the year. And that's important as well. I mean, that's really probably the best breed and practice that I try to instill in my companies that, that hire us, that kind of discipline behind looking today and into tomorrow. I completely agree with it. I think the budget is your roadmap, right? It's the story you tell. It's where you're investing. It's where you're not investing. And I always say it's like a painting. You you decide the trade-offs that you're going to make. I like I like the painting analogy. I don't. Uh, I'm not very autistic. So, uh, but the roadmap is definitely the yeah. term that I commonly use. Absolutely. Like you know, like you can have intellectual or theoretical discussions, if you will, about your business or where you should head or where you should pass. But when you bring data into it and you bring hard facts and you bring market trends, it's hard to refute what other people are saying and what people are buying in a discussion. Talk to me a little bit about the part of the budgeting process that you see is the most difficult for your clients or just in general. A lot of my clients, the good part of it is that they're, they're, they're trying to grow. They may be trying to, you know, I have a few clients that, you know, want to double their revenues, six or five to 10 or 10 to 20. That's a big, big hurdle to clear. And there's a lot of expenses that, that you need to account for that haven't been accounted for. And the volume of the expenses that you're trying to do need to be put in there as well. So there's, when you're used to having a certain level of, of results and cash flow and expenses, and then you, you introduce them and say, all right, well, if you're going to blow a particular brand, you know, whatever you're spending today in marketing, maybe you're only spending $100, you know, maybe you're spending 1% of your revenue. When you get to that level of business, you have to start thinking about increasing your spending to closer to one and a half, maybe two percent of your revenue. And when people say, "Well, that's crazy. You're just trying to pad my budget," let's look at go to outside vendor, you know, go to outside metrics and see companies in your industry or in your size company are spending on advertising if they want to grow and see what they say. So, again, that's usually done as um, a reality check because, again, a lot of times they haven't gone through this before and growing a company. From that level, you know, from the from the revenue size that we're talking about, it's only three, you know, in my example, it's only three million or five million. It's, it's doubling your company and how you slice it or what scale you apply to a division of a Fortune 500 company, you know, the, the construction company down the road. It's huge and it has a great impact. And if you don't plan for it properly, you could be left holding the bag both on a cash flow basis and a customer service. It impacts many areas of your business. And if you don't give adequate time to it and really assess the, the value of doing it. It could really ruin, you know, could ruin the wealth and the reputation that you've already have with your company. I totally agree. Tell me, do you have a preference between cash versus accrual accounting? Which one's your preference? From an ease standpoint, cash is always king. Yeah. So that's usually easier. The answer is it's probably a hybrid of both. So most companies, when they, whether it's for lending purposes with banks or if they're going to start to, if you have a potential acquisition or disposition of your business, Accrual accounting kind of is the standard that everybody uses, so U.S. GAAP. It's part unless, obviously, if there's foreign entities involved, and they involve either IRFRS or the local statutory accounts in those particular countries. But for the most part, you work with U.S. GAAP. So it's important to understand the cash flow. And the reason why is because, for example, if you take a retailer, and a retailer, um, the majority of their business is done in the last two months of the year. But the spending is done usually in the beginning, uh, the first half of the year in terms of marketing, and then you start to spend on particular manufacturing of a product. It happens in the latter part, you know, within the second or third quarter of a given year. So you can do a budget and you can straight line and say, oh, it looks awesome. Oh, and everything is great. But you don't understand that you have to spend 10 in order to earn the 10 at the end of the year. And do you have the financial wherewithal to fund payroll 
make those purchases, you know, keep the lights on where you're, where you're working. So it's both. I think you don't have, like I said, you know, I'll repeat it again. Cash is king. It's a new concept, right? But it really is the lifeblood or the, the bloodstream of a business. And if you don't budget for it properly or don't have the adequate resources in play, it can paralyze even the greatest of plans. I think another topic that's very near and dear to some of our listeners is financing. What are suggestions in terms of which options people should consider and any tips to consider the alternatives? I will say this, when you finance, if you're like in the first two years, if, if all your listeners who are either in their first two years of the company or starting to maybe stop working and I started my business, I just I went from big business to, to starting a small business overnight, it's going to be very, very difficult to get outside financing. You know, if, again, when you go from a W-2 employee to a, you know, on your own employee, you go from being the, you know, the most desired person to be, to lend to, don't even consider going in here. I mean, I, I remember my own history. I went into my company and I decided after I, I took a company public and after we did that, I decided to start my own company right after that. You know, I went from being on the top of the world and dealing with all the, the financing and all the money and blah, blah, blah. And then I, overnight, I went to my bank and said, hey, listen, good news. I just started my own company. I just quit my business. And they went, oh, okay, when did it start? I go, well, it's going to start today. It's why I'm here. I want to open my account for it. And they said, okay, we'll open the account. But in terms of credit lines, we need two years of financials. But I don't even have, <laughs> I, I just walked in there two seconds ago. So I think if, so if you were looking at financing for the first few years, honestly, I would say you have to start to bootstrap it, families and friends to raise and be creative in terms of expenses, both on your f personal life and your business life. But companies that are beyond that stage and they, they have two years behind them and they have some momentum and growth and for lack of a better word, some, some real meat behind it. You know, banks are tough to deal with. They tend to be risk averse and they don't want to take on any risk and it becomes very challenging to get any kind of finance. I'm hesitant to really, you know, and you know, there's certain industries you can get around it. Like if you're in the, in the retail industry or the clothing industry, there's factoring of your receivables, PO financing and other creative stuff, which can be a little bit expensive, but it can, you know, help sustain your, your business during that, during some tenuous times in your cash flow. I, you know, one thing I do caution away from people is you have to be aware when you do like either hard money lending or, these short-term loans, I won't name anybody in particular, but you see them on the internet or you can find them out in the, in the marketplace. I'm not going to, I'm going to be a little bit blanket when I say this, because there are some good seeds out there and you can find reasonable ones. But for the most part, that level of lending is very, it's a high amount of, of uh, interest rate. It could be many times, you know, it could be 20, 25%. And in this rising rate of interest rates, it could probably be close to 30%. It could really, even though it could, plug a hole temporarily in your cash flow today, it'll just continue to spew, continue to hemorrhage cash because you'll be paying those high interest rates and it won't be developing your business. And the only way to get off is to find cheaper money. You know, and again, at the end of the day, it's hard to find cheaper money when you're already in that, in that carousel. So in terms of financing, it's, it's the number one, you know, to get back to your core uh, part of your question, it's a real challenge given a lot of negative things to do. But I mean, honestly, you know, usually friends and family are usually the start of it. Sometimes you hear stories of people tapping into their 401ks and all these funds to get their business started and they've grown immensely. I mean, there's tax ramifications for that and you need to understand that fully mm -hmm. when you do financing like that. But at the end of the day, in terms of really believing in yourself and getting, getting a business off the board that's usually 
that the best way to do it. Something that I always recommend, even if people don't need it or business don't need it, but you can get it just in case you have an issue is getting a line of credit. And so many times I think people don't realize that you can apply for one and not even use the money, but it just serves as like a little bit of insurance to bridge cash flow. Absolutely. I mean, also people on the same line of what you're saying, they can take a line of credit either personally or if they have a home or some other assets that they can, they can lean against can do that as well. And I think when you do stuff like that, it's very, it does free up a lot of liquidity and it also gives a discipline to the owner that says, I'm just not going to spend this money willy nilly. This is on my nickel. It's on my dime. And I think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, they, they do like to see that you've done that for that reason. So like generally speaking, people who try to buy other companies you know, from an outsider's perspective, you like to see people who have, you know, not an insane amount of money invested, but when they put in their own money, they've obviously put in the effort and they put in their expertise and they've sacrificed a lot to make it work. So when they see that money expended in there, they feel better about it because they know that there's a lot of skin in the game for them. And that's usually the sign that somebody is really, really going to work well. I totally agree. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. If our guests want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Thank you, Seema. I really appreciate the time. Again, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me most direct places on LinkedIn, Brian Califano. My website is acceleratingcfo.com. You can find our, we also have a podcast. We have some blogs up there and you can also see some commentary in terms of our approach of how we help businesses as well. You can find us on Twitter at acceleratingcfo. And if you want to reach out to us, this contact number is on the website. It's probably the best place instead of spewing numbers there probably the best place to reach me. So, Great. Thank you so much and look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Same here. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.